What is up, y'all? What is up? Welcome to another episode of Scrolling Through Life, man. I got my buddy here, Chris Thompson, retired SF operator, combat wounded. All right, he shoots competitive USPSA pistol and three gun, owner and operator of DOL Solutions. I've heard his story. His story is remarkable, man. Um, I heard his story uh, shortly after I went through treatment. And I was going through outpatient uh, here at Bragg um, when he came to tell his story. And that was the first time that I had ever um, personally heard another operator, somebody like mine and like myself, who's walked my shoes, who's been where I've been, tell his story so openly um, and, and, you know, in detail. And it made me feel more comfortable at the time and not be ashamed of uh where I had been and everything that I had gone through, the dark moments that I've gone through. So hearing somebody of his caliber, uh, you know, tell his story was just fucking outstanding, man. And um, I'm going to let him tell his story and introduce himself. Chris Thompson, man, bro, I appreciate it. Um, Absolutely, brother. Small world, how we ran back into each other, wasn't it? Very, very small world. Um, it's kind of crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I guess we'll get further into that whole piece a little later. Right, right. Um, it's really good to see your face again and uh, Hell yeah, actually man. see how you've evolved. Um, I appreciate it, man. From where you are at because, you know, after we figured out where we knew each other from, <laughs> yeah. um, I remember those eyes. Yeah, man. Um, and I recognized them because they looked very similar to mine when I was going through, <laughs> you know, my time. And um, to see that complete change right. was just, it appreciate was, it. It was man. awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, man. I made sure to get a, 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 you know, usually when, um, you know, people come for, for, for talks or tell the stories and stuff, you're, you're kind of like, oh, okay, you know, let me sit in back and just listen. But I, I remember, you know, um, we had a lot of speakers come through. I mean, you know the program. Yep. Um, we had a lot of people come through. Um, but I know the reason I chose to sit up front and I was so excited that day is because they told me that, you know what I'm saying? They said you were an SF uh, yep. uh, operator and you know, so I was like, oh shit. Yeah, and it's one of the things that I asked them um, to do was um, if they had anybody that was in SOF. Right. Um, and I didn't really care if it was just SF, um, whether they were in PSYOPs or civil affairs or whatever. You know, it was, if you have anybody that's in SOF, make sure they come Yep. and listen to me to what I have to say, because it was important to me for the soft community to understand that there's an issue. Right. And we need to figure it out right. how to fix it. Right. So. And, and you know, um, that's the thing, man. So what, what, what I don't want people to, uh, uh, take away from, from what we're saying here is, um, it, it's not just, you know, what soft guys say is, is, is word or bond, but you know, for us, no. it's, it's, it brings it more to life. Yes. Yes. I mean, there's a familiarity. Exactly. Um, and, a and it, it's personal. Very man. Um, yeah. because we're, you know, we're all triple type a personalities, <laughs> um, where, yeah. you know, even somebody sounding weak, you know, it's like a pack of hyenas will jump on top of you. Yeah. So often enough, you know, if a regular army cat, was to tell an SF guy or a soft guy that, hey man, you know, you can get this help. They're gonna be like, whatever, buddy. Exactly. You know, it's, blow yeah, it true. off. Yep. But when, they, when one of your brothers yep. who knows exactly what you've been through yep. um, gets at you and says, hey man, you need some help. And right. I got a path for you that is gonna make you see a different light. You tend to listen. You tend to pay attention. Yep. They're gonna curse you out a few times and call you a bunch, bunch of names. 
but they're going to listen. Yes. You know, and that, yes. that's, that's always been my goal. You know, I think I told you when I gave the speech, I said, you know, if, if one person, you know, hears what I says right. and it, it, it sparks them to take the step necessary steps and follow the program, um, my job is done. Right. Um, well, the, um, there's a huge stigma, man. Um, you know, especially in our community, it, it's a huge, huge stigma. Um, you know, if, if you are going through things, you better bottle that shit up. Oh yeah. That, that's, <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. That shit ain't talk about. You like know? you better bottle that shit yeah, up. You better cry that in your pillow and come back. Right. Yep. Go drink you a bottle or some beers yep. and, and, and keep push. that shit to yourself and keep pushing. And then push. that's what it's exactly what we do. Exactly. Um, yeah, there's a huge stigma and you know, guys are so concerned about, you know, not wanting to be taken off the team. Um, not wanting to miss anything, yeah. Um, but also not wanting to be looked at by others like they're damaged goods. Um, it all creates an environment that necessitates you to a certain extent right. to keep that shit in check, right? You know, and just drive on. Exactly, man. And you know, I think. It, so what you just said right now, you know, as far as getting taken off a team, a lot of people, and I hear this on almost every uh, podcast so far that I've done with with uh, SF dudes, and and what people I think when they hear it, they're like, well, who you know, what I'm saying, who cares if you get taken off a team? People don't understand, man. Hey, bro, like I, team, the, how many years that went? Yeah, <laughs> the work that and the pain that we've gone through to make it into group, right? And the pinnacle of being an SF guy is right. being on the ODA. Right. Um, being taken off the team is basically stripping you of your identity. Right. It really is. You know, so it sounds like, well, you can get on other teams, but no, it doesn't work like that. Right. You know, and you also got to remember, there's 15, 20 other dudes that want to be in your spot. Waiting. Waiting. Waiting for you to just sidestep a little. Right. Get hurt and have to come off the team and they're going to take your spot. Right. And that's it. Right. I think that's why it's so, and that's why it's so important, man. Like, you know, I'm seeing it now more and, and I, and I attribute it all to the war ending. Yes. Of, of why it's becoming more, you know, acceptable to talk about mental health and talk about what you're going through and be open about what you're going through. And deployments are slowing down. So it's like the biggest thing for us was I'm not missing a fucking deployment. Well, the good thing about, well, good and bad, but when we were doing the six on, six off and just yep. constantly go, 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 you, there was no time to worry about yeah. emotions and feelings. Yeah. yeah. You know, we were just, I mean, I can remember plenty of times where you get back from a trip, you know, unpack your gear, you get two weeks of leave. Right. Unless you wanted to go to this school that just happened to be during leave and it's the only chance you're gonna get to go. Exactly. So then you're off to that school, you get back, and then next thing you know, it's PMT, prepping yeah. for the next trip and you're gone. Yep. So that six months or seven months you had off was really about a month and a half of really being home. Right. And if you talk about, you know, head on the pillow time in six months, you may have had 45 days where you actually laid your Facts. head on your pillow in Facts. your house next to your significant other. Yep. 
I remember, I remember one year counting. Um, there was one year I kept, you know, I just kept track of everything because I was like, I was like, man, like I'm just gone way too much. Yep. I had slept away from home two hundred and forty something days. Yep. Absolutely, which is just. Crazy. Ridiculous. And it makes me laugh because, you know, a lot of times I'll be watching, you know, TV shows, you know, and somebody will be complaining, oh man, I, I have to be away from my wife for a week and a half. And I'm like, a week and a half? Yeah. Bro, seriously? I spent a week and a half in the woods. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, man. You know. That's why, um, we'll get to this a little bit deeper, but this is why, like, when I tell people all the time, people are like, so what are you gonna do when you get out? What are you gonna do when you're retired? I'm like, bro, I'm not doing jack and shit. Oh, no. Like, I'm not doing nothing, man. I'm having a baby, yep. and this is the first time that I'm getting a second chance to be a father, like a full-time yep. father. I'm not working, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna no. be at home, stay at home dad. Yeah, yeah I've, I've, I've told my new bride and everybody that I know, yeah. you know, that, am I gonna work? Yes. Right. Will I work hard? Yes. Right, right. But if there's a day that I dread have to doing have to do what's coming up or I, I'm not doing it. No, man. I'm not gonna be miserable at some job just to be doing it. You know, this is my second chance at life. Yes. You know, I this is where I, I get to have some fun. Right. Explore new things. Right. You know, not be grinding. Yep. you know, day in and day out um, with no reward. Yeah. You know, so I, I agree with you, man. It, you can call me what you want to, but. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got to focus, like, um, shout out to my boy, Jeff Cotto, but um, um, he has said to me, he was like, hey man, like, you know, there's got to be a point where you got to look back and say, those days are done. Those days are over. Yes. Like, those days are gone. And I've lived the, it. That's the hardest part. And he says that too, that he was always chasing that one more. Yes. That one more deployment. That the problem is, is that our identity is wrapped around those tabs. It really is, man. You know, and as soon as you retire, right, you instantly are like, oh my God, who am I? Who am I? Yeah. And when you really say that out loud, it scares the shit out of you. It, yeah, it, you're breaking my mind right now. Yeah, because, you know, before, you were like, right. freaking Green Beret, that's what the fuck I am. Right. You know, and you're looking for the next trip and this, that, the other thing. Yeah. But once that those papers are signed and you go on terminal leave and then you get the blue ID card yep. as bittersweet as it is. Yeah. There's this instant identity crisis that goes on and that's where things go real bad for a lot of people. It's, it's funny you say that man. Um, because that was the reason why I asked to go to treatment. I, I, I went and asked to go to treatment. I was like, you have to send me away because I knew I was retiring and I knew that if I did not get the help now, I'm gonna be, if, if, I, if, if I don't die. I uh, said the same exact, yeah? that's what put me in treatment. Yeah, man. Um, it was twofold. Self-aware. It was a conversation between me and my pistol. Yeah, yeah, buddy. Um, but also knowing that if I didn't, take care of this before I retired. Yeah. That I was going to be dead. Oh, for sure. For probably sure. Probably before I got off a of terminal leave. For sure, man. I was either gonna eat my pistol or I would've OD'd. For sure. It was sure. gonna be one or the other. Um, and it, 
I look back at that and it still scares the crap out of me. Right. Let, um, man, for everybody that knows me, they know I like to just have conversations, but yeah, me too. <laughs> so let's go ahead. Um, so we kind of dove into it a little bit, but let's tell people your story, man. Okay. Um, guess we'll start from the beginning because yes. you know, it's, it's, it's all me. Right. Um, you know, I was bo born and raised in Long Island, New York. Okay. Um, I lived right in the middle of Long Island, um, in a town called Holbrook. Okay. Which was back then was very rural. Um, so I grew up playing in thousands of acres of woods. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so being outdoors was just part of my childhood, you know, and because I'm a 70s slash 80s baby, you know, there was no video games. It uh -huh. was you take your ass outside and go play and don't come back until it's dinner time. The good old days. It was the good old days, you know, and <clears throat> it really helped out, you know, in my career. Right. But that's how I grew up. Um, both my parents worked very, very hard. Right. Um, my mom was a registered nurse. My dad was a dialysis technician. Um, and they provided very well for me. Right. Uh, with that being said, my dad was an alcoholic. Um, and he could be um, abusive um, quite a bit. Um, and that's what, you know, grow growing up in that house could be, it was pretty tumultuous. Um, and got pretty sporty at times. Right. Um, you know, graduated high school at 18 years old, had aspirations of joining the military, but didn't. Right. Um, I guess I was too caught up in running with my friends and making bad decisions, but was smart enough to know that if I would have joined the military at that time, I would have either got out in 40 years or got kicked out right. and would have done it for nothing. Um, so I held off. Um, that's when I got into powerlifting and um, worked as a personal trainer, worked in the uh, health food store, right. um, installed um, commercial gyms into fire departments and stuff like that. Oh, shit. Um, Things I didn't know. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, and that's what I did. Um, I, and, and that time, I, you know, during that period of my life, I met my first wife. Mm. Um, we got married, had kids, um, and moved to Virginia. Okay. Um, where, you know, we had a good time in Virginia. It was still bodybuilding and powerlifting and stuff like that, running health food stores. But that itch came back. Right. You know, I was around a lot of Navy SEALs. Um, had quite a few SEALs that belonged to the gym that I went to. What so, year, what year uh, was this around? This is about 2000. Okay. Um, okay. 99, 2000. So 9-11, yeah, yeah, so, okay. So, with that being said, you know, I was like, man, that itch is there. Yeah. You know, and I brought it up to my then wife and she was like, you know, you told me about it before. If you want to go for it, you might as well go for it. Uh, so that's what I did. Um, you know, I had some choices, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to be in a unit that you had to be earn your way there. Yep. Um, I, Cause I've never been one to just accept a spot where you just thrown in and it's all good to go. Right. Know? So I looked at the Navy because, you know, I was surrounded by Navy SEALs and I don't like boats. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> you yeah, know, I'm not cool with drowning. You know, you know, drowning is highly overrated. And, you know, they had, you know, the SEAL program where you can come in and, but if you failed BUDS, you didn't, weren't even assigned an MOS. Right. You know, so the thought of, potentially spending the next three and a half years scraping paint off a boat just 
did not brief well to me. Right. Um, so I looked at the Army, and I believe the X-ray program was just starting. Mm-hmm. But something told me that I should go to the regular Army first and learn the Army. Smart decision. Um, before I jumped into the special, oper- you know, yeah. or tried to jump into the special operations arena. So that's what I did. Right. You know, I signed up. Um, infantry, um, airborne, with choice of duty station of being the 82nd. Right. So that's where I went. Um, and, you know, went through basic. Jump school was jump school. Right. You know? <laughs> of course. And then I got to 80, you know, got to the 82nd. And the 82nd was everything I thought the 82nd was going to be. Right. Back then. You know, it. we had a lot of guys, that were, you know, formerly from Ranger Battalion. Yep. You know, PT was what you were judged by. Yep. And there were standards. And as much as I hated being told what to do, I like standards. Right. I'm somewhere. You know, so it worked for me. Right. Um, and then, you know, 9-11, and the next thing you know, we're off. Yeah. Um, came back, initial invasion of Iraq. Yeah, because when 9-11 happened, 82nd was gone. Like, yeah. Like immediately, yeah. Staging, mean, staging in uh, where y'all at? Kuwait. Kuwait. Yep. You know, and a lot of people don't realize that. You know, yeah. SF went in first after nine eleven. Yep. You know, along with the CIA and that yeah. whole story. But the eighty second jocked up and was on the way right, right. afterwards. Um, and that's where I got a t- uh, my first taste taste of working with SF guys, mm-hmm. and it really. Sealed the deal of, yeah, this is uh, really where I need to do. This is where I need to be. Yeah. You know, and then I went to Iraq and we worked with SF guys. And right. I was like, man, they're doing it right. And then I went to Afghanistan again. Right. And we got to work with some SF guys from third group. And I was like, okay, I'm going to selection. I, I'm it took you that long to find a well, Actually, it was, I always, my, my path in my mind I had yeah. was going to be, I'm going to spend X amount of years in the infantry, gotcha. gain some experience, go to selection, drive on. Right. Well, you know, deployments kind of got in the way, but as these deployments happened and I'm, you know, we end up working with SF guys, um, it really motivated me to, yeah, this is definitely what I want to do. Yeah. So in 05, I finally, we got back from Afghanistan and I dropped my packet. I was like, let me drop it now because there may be another trip and it'll be another two years before exactly, I can get this chance man. again. And as it went, you know, I, you know, I went to selection, passed. Um, I got my orders for the Q course and a week later, the unit I was now leaving got fenced in for a year long deployment in Iraq. No. Yeah. So like if I did not go to you selection- been, Yeah, you would've been stuck. I'd've been there. And th- and that's what was happening to a lot of people back yes, then. It was. It was it, it's not that nobody didn't want to make the moves, but even at Ranger Battalion, like, you know what I'm saying? Because we were doing the six months, like, people would want to go, but they're like, man, like, I don't want to miss this deployment. I don't yeah. want to miss that deployment. And it, it was, in, and getting those orders and going, and to, going to the Q course, um, it was bittersweet. Yeah. And I say that because a lot of the guys that I was their team leader or squad leader, and we grew up in the 82nd, a lot of them died on that trip. Oh shit. You know, so right. it was like, as I was now in the Q course and hearing, man, I was that guy's team leader. Yeah. Man, me and him were privates together. Right. You know, it was bittersweet. Did you start feeling kind of guilty a little bit? There was a little guilt. Yeah. Um, there was a little guilt, but it really, 
that guilt really didn't play a part in my issues until right. later on. Of course. Um, it was just, that was just something to sprinkle on top of, of everything I had of going course. on. Um, so yeah, went through the Q course, um, you know, rock and rolling, had some, some injuries that I was dealing with. I had um, um, some patella tendon issues mm-hmm. that if you've never had patella tendon issues, they make your knees feel like they're gonna explode every step you take. Right. Um, but suck, you know, had to suck that up. That's from all the- uh, uh, All the jumping and- And just, the weightlifting, right? And, like, and a lot of the weightlifting, powerlifting. Powerlifting, yeah. Stuff like that, you know. Plus I was a sponsored skateboarder as a teenager. Oh, okay. So you had so, a lot of- <laughs> So let's just see, my knees had seen better days I was just gonna already. Say. Um, so yeah, so boom, graduate the Q course, going to third group. Right. You know, time to rock and roll. And this is what, oh- This is oh seven. Oh seven. okay. Oh seven. Yeah, because things, things were still pop, popping and popping in 07. Yes, seven. they were. Yeah. Um, Matter of fact, I think things increased a little bit. They, yeah, they, they kicked up as soon as um, the drawdown of Iraq hit. Yep. That's when everything in Af- Afghanistan exploded. Yeah. Yep. Um, Marja was 07, wasn't it? Marja was 09. 09. That's yes. right. Because, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, was, that was the mission yeah. of the century yeah. for me anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, hit third group rock and roll and went straight to a team. Um, and now it's all about proving yourself, yeah. learning everything that you realize you have not a clue about. Yeah. Um, and the pressure cooker was on. What am I? 18 Echo. 18 Echo. Comms guy. Comms guy for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah comms yeah. guy, but I'm probably like the most 18 Bravo Echo you've ever met. Yeah. The, yeah. So, so when you told me that before, uh, just a couple weeks ago, yeah. like I, I would have never, yeah. I would have never guessed that. I, I, I would have guessed, you know, uh, Bravo first or, yep. or Charlie, but I, yep. I would have never guessed. Yep. It, it, it was funny too, because for me, one of the reasons why I chose Echo yeah. was I was thinking farsighted with it. Yeah. I was thinking of, okay, when I get out of the army, which MOS is going to potentially aid in me finding work? You're a lot better than me, man. Cause and I thought that, but. <laughs> so that's why I did it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, you, you're, you were a lot smarter and you were yeah. definitely thinking ahead. Yeah. I was never, I never want, like, that was way too far for me. Yeah. Like, see, one of the, one of the things I can say about myself from at a young age is I set plans yeah. and goals in motion based off of, you know, time yeah. and wanting to succeed. Yep. And that's the way I do things. Where'd that come from? You think my dad, your dad, my dad, for all the things that were not so great about him. Mm-hmm. His work ethic and drive right. is legendary. You know, I've learned so much about work ethic and drive just watching him. Right. I mean, this is a man that drank right. heavily, but also was the chief dialysis tech at Stony Brook University for 35 years and held down two patients that he would do dialysis treatments on. Yeah. So he worked six and seven days a week for 25 plus years. Fuck, man. Well, that's probably why he drank. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being serious. I'm serious. I mean, but that that was his thing. Yeah. But looking back at him, you know, and I don't want to divulge too much. No, know, I got you. Yeah, yeah. To that, that work ethic is also what, when he retired, yeah. he had issues with. Right. Because he was too busy working and not thinking. And then when there was no work, 
Right. Things got very rough for him too. Yeah. I mean, cause you, cause you, cause you got not but time and you start, you know what I yep, mean? Exactly. But, um, yeah, th- it, that's very important to have that man, like to be taught that, you know what I mean? Yeah. To, to like plan and, and the work ethic and, and, you know, it's, it's very important to have that. Um, and it's, you know, who probably made you who you are today. Yeah, it obviously. absolutely did. Yeah, you and, know you know, I, mean? it, I didn't always apply it efficiently when I was younger. Right, of course. <laughs> but I knew what it, I understood what it took. Right. So it wasn't, like as a kid, when I graduated high school, for me to get two jobs to make money was no big deal. Right. You know, where other people are like, I'm not going to work more than one job. That's crazy. Yeah. For me, having two jobs is no big deal. Hell, my dad works three. Right. You know, so to me, that's just, if you have a goal and you want something, you work. Right. If you want more, you work harder. So that I always understood that. Right. You know, so when it became time for me to do that, it just seemed natural to do. Right. So, so yeah, so that's how that, I mean, that's definitely how that's made you successful. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Um, well now, and in the, in the beginning years of, of, of coming to SF, because yep. cause it's huge to have all those traits, man. Yep. So, you know, fast forward, you know, you know, living the SF lifestyle, yep. you know, you know, I got running wife, and gunning. I two kids, I'm running and gunning, I'm yep. in and out of the house, I'm out training or I'm deployed. Yep. You know, so that was kind of the start of the family dynamics getting a little twisted up. It always does. Um, and then I started suffering some injuries um, in 09. Right. Um, one of those injuries required multiple surgeries um, and was catastrophic enough where I overheard a doctor say, this is the end of this guy's career. Wow. Um, and that motivated me, but broke me in so many different ways. Right. Um, so once we got to that point, that was the first injury, right? That was the first one. So then, you know, suffer a few more injuries and going through all that, um, I was introduced to good old Percocet, you know, and oxycodone and all those good things. Right, right, right. Um, and actually needed them yeah. at this point. Um, and how many deployments in was this? This was probably five or six in. When she got to SF? Uh, probably four into SF. Four into yeah. SF. Okay. So, you know, having surgery after surgery and, you know, finally finished up, but I still needed the painkillers because there's a lot of things that are still hurting. Yeah. But deploy again and then do more damage to my body and have to come back and have more surgeries. Um, I became very, very dependent on the painkillers. Really? Um, and. Did you see yourself? I becoming addicted to them? I saw it? myself getting addicted to them. Right. But the rationale was I'm staying on the team or I got to keep moving. Right, right. So therefore these are necessary. Right. And we'll deal with the repercussions of it later. Yep. Um, so that's what I did. I kept taking them, kept taking them and it started to spin out of control. What? So when you, so, I mean, I know you're going to go into it, but like, what were the changes that were happening along the way? Like, was it, were you coming into work late? Were you coming to work high? Like, no, nope. and the thing is I was still on coming into work on time. Right. Um, I guess I was blessed with a very high tolerance. Right. Um, so nobody knew that I know of, or was I made aware of right. till the end. 
um, that I was taking as much as I was taking and I was prescribed them. Yeah. That so, and, and that's, that's the catch is because to me, I'm doing the right thing. I'm taking what yeah. they're prescribing me, but not paying attention to the fact that I'm using the good old SF by, with, and through to convince them that I need a higher dosage yep. or more. <laughs> yeah. And they, at that time, they were more than willing to give you them. Right. Um, so I, I, I was definitely in the abuse stage. Um, it still wasn't. How long did it take you to get there? You think? I would say about two years. Oh, wow. Yeah, of the eight year journey. Oh, wow, okay. Um, and, and my journey ebbed and <clears throat> flow because there was times where I was taking like a bare minimum of one or two. Right. And then it would ramp up from there. Right. So it got to the point where now it was time to go to SWIC. Right. Um, and retirement was, was looming because my body just was not able to heal and consistently perform like I needed it to. Right. And the one thing I always said is I, I don't want to be that guy on the team that somebody else has to worry about. Of course. You know, and that's, that's where I was, I was really starting to feel that way. Yep. Um, so I was like, okay, retirement's coming. You know, let's go to SWIC. Um, and that's where things got bad. Okay. Um, going to SWIC, you lose your identity as a team guy. Yeah. You're so close to the team life, but so far. And then with the politics of SWIC yeah. and things of that nature, you start really getting a bad taste. Yep. And that's when my usage ramped up severely. Were you still married at the time or was it divorce? I was still married. How, um, so, I, so I know for me, like now looking back, obviously me and my ex are, you know, it, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're just, di we're just different people. Yep. But I look back and I go, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like I was a fucking mess, man. Yeah. Like, well, the problem was, is my wife had some substance abuse issues as well. Right. Um, so did mine. <laughs> so the, you know, the issue became, and a lot of where the problems began is I was so worried about hers yeah. and taking care of hers that I was never looking at me. Gotcha. You know, so with going to SWIC, you know, my usage, Double down. If you, if, you, if you don't mind me asking, so like how many, so like when you say it increased, like how many were you taking a day? So I or? was easily taking in 80 milligrams of oxycodone a day. That's quite a bit. It's, it's a huge amount. And the crazy part, fully, func fully functional. Well, yeah, because I mean, if, at how many years? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, 80 milligrams is like no big deal. Right. You know, but the one thing about the oxys was that it made my give a shit meter non-existent. Yeah. So if I was pissed off, pop a couple pills, I don't care. Huh. If I'm feeling sad about something, pop a couple pills, I don't care. Right. You know, and that's what makes them dangerous. Yeah. You know, so. People, people, so like I hear eight and I go, fuck, that's a lot, right? But then like when I tell people, I was like at the end, I was drinking a fifth of Jameson a night, a night. And then on the weekends, It'd be amped. It'd, it'd be ramped up because the one was just to get me through the through the night or through the you know what I'm saying yeah. through the day, and I'd yeah. go to work or you know what I'm saying yeah go to work the next day. So I don't want to be drinking too much. Yeah, exactly. Air, air quotes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This fifth is just so it just looks like I'm sipping. Yeah. You know when I drink two of these, 
it's the weekend. Then so it's, the it's problem. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like people look at that and, 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 you know, I'm having this reaction like, oh shit, that's a lot. But then I'm like, that's how people think about when I tell them exactly. how much I was drinking. Exactly. You know? exactly. So yeah. So, you know, here I am taking 80 to hundred milligrams of, you know, oxycodone or Percocet or whatever opiate yeah. um, that I was being prescribed. And it got to the point where that wasn't enough. All right. Um, so I had maxed out, you know, being able to get any more from, you know, my medical providers. So what does a good SF guy do? You go on the economy right. and you hunt down sources and that's what I did. You know, so now I'm taking 150 milligrams of opiate today. Wow. Right. Well, did you see something was going like, so like I knew something was not right, but like you said, well, I'm, you know, like for you, I'm getting prescribed for me. I'm like, well, it's just alcohol. Like, yeah, so for, for <laughs> and me, we all drink. Yeah. So for me, um, I knew something was wrong, but people don't realize um, how much opiate abuse is epidemic in the soft community. I didn't know that till I went to treatment, Chris. Yes. I did not know that. I, I'm, and I'm being so serious. I did yeah. not know that was a problem until I got it, to uh, so treatment. I can, I can guarantee you that any SF guy that is on opiates or uses opiates, they know all the other SF guys that or, on, yeah. or use it. Okay, yeah. it's, it's a network. Of course. It's kind of like the little dirty secret. Of course. Um, so I knew all the guys that were right. using and abusing. And that's how we all communicated together, figure out what's the new source. Right. You know? So- What are the doctors saying to you? So at the end, of, at, since I was getting ready to retire and going through the whole med board and all that stuff, yeah, they weren't saying anything. They were just giving them to you? Just giving them to me. That's- that, that's, that's wild, man. Yeah. So after a while, you know, like I said, I'm buying them off the economy now and it's getting very expensive. Yeah. You know, and I got introduced to heroin. Right. And that's where shit went downhill, you know, in world record time. Yeah. Um, it's much cheaper at first. So I hear and it is the most insidious substance right. that I've ever encountered. It literally takes over your life right. in a day. And so I started using that. And how, how, so, like that jump, like how how were you starting to conceal that? You know what I mean from so, the, from home, from work. So that's where the, the the that's where the the gamesmanship comes into play. Right. You know. So now it's you know on my lunch break, I dip out here to pick this up. Yep. Yep. You know, and then when I get off of work, I dip over here to pick this up. Yep. Or I get up two hours earlier in the morning to go meet up with this guy to go pick this up right. and get into work. Right. And then plus now I'm on my retirement schedule. They don't expect me to even be there. For for people that are, are probably thinking, well, what is he talking about? In the military, I don't know how about it's in regular army, but I know in, in, in soft, when you start getting towards your last year, maybe even year and a half, like nobody expects you to even be around at all. Like, no, not like, at all. Because you're taking care of your shit to exactly. get retired. So that's what he's talking about, people. Yep. So, so yeah, so basically I'm just doing my thing. Yeah. And my entire life is falling apart. Yeah. 
Um, I was now absolutely without question addicted to heroin. Right. Um, pills don't even work. Were you still using, were you still taking pills just to kind of like top it off? I would top off with pills, right? but it got to the point where the pills, you know, didn't even do shit. Didn't do shit. Um, and now I'm using two grams a day of heroin. Wow. To put that in perspective. Yeah, I was gonna ask you to. The average person, if you tell them they use a half gram of dope, they're like, man, that's a lot. A gram, they're like, oh my God. Two grams is like, you are a straight drug addict and should be dead. Right. Um, and I should have been. Right. You know, for all intents and purposes, how I'm still sitting here after the, the stuff I done is beyond me. It's a grace of God. Right. Um, and then I had a pivotal arrest. <laughs> right. That, that, uh, that rock bottom. That, you know, seriously added to um, the conversations I was having with my pistol. Yeah. Um, that when I got arrested, I was like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, what are you doing? Solid takes. And that's literally, I got arrested. Um, committee chief came and got me out. Right. <laughs> and I self-referred into uh, Subsea. Yep. Or Sudsea. Sudsea, yeah. And it was at the point where, you know, I had tried to get clean several times beforehand and failed. Right. And all my ideas of how I can make this work were not working. So when I went to, you know, Sudsea to check in for rehab, I literally just said, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Yeah. All my ideas are not working. Yeah. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. If you tell me pushing a pencil with my nose across the floor is gonna help me, I will do it right. because obviously my way is not working. Right. So tell me what to do and I'll do it. Cause, cause we're big and bad, Chris. And yes. we think that we could do this all by our ourselves. fucking selves. And we don't need nobody. And this is at the point where I have exhausted yeah. every way, shape possible to fix this problem. What were you doing to, to quit on your own? So, for, for example, like for me, when I, air quotes again, when I, when I was trying to quit, <laughs> I'd be like, I'm only drinking wine. Yep. And, so you know. I would do everything <laughs> from, okay, I'm only going to take this amount every two hours or three hours. Yeah. Um, you know, I've tried the whole rationing bit. I even had, would detox and suffer for four days so that the amount that I would need to get the high I was looking for it would be less, huh. but then it would quickly escalate right back to the amount I was using. Right. You know, I've, I've tried it all. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it just did not work. How it got to the point where, and this was part of the rock bottom, was I couldn't, there wasn't an, an amount that I could do to get high I could only not be sick. Gotcha. So now the fun, if you want to call it fun of getting high, no longer assisted. It was either I felt good or 
decent right. or I was sick. Right. There was no high. And I knew that at the amounts that I was starting to do, I've owed, almost OD twice. And this was eight years of doing this yes. at, at, at this point. At this point of the total years of abuse. So you were pretty much a pro like I was. At, yes, at, at, I, I was a professional. Right. But I will say that it was now becoming noticeable. Like, what do you mean? Um, my behavior was real janky. Yeah. You know, angry? Angry. Um, defensive? Defensive. <laughs> you know, lost some weight because yeah. I'm not eating right. Um, just looking like absolute hell, you know. And, you know, I look back now and people noticed. Yeah. But- my, the thing was, because I had that prescription, they were like, oh, well, you know, he's probably taking his prescription for opiates. Huh. So nobody would say anything. In fact, I would pass drug tests because- You had a prescription. Because I had a prescription and heroin breaks down into oxyhydromophone, which is the same thing that oxyhydrocodone breaks down to. Right. So, did, so, so at the end of the day- it's a free hall pass. Do you, do you feel like me looking back and, and, and <laughs> I've had great, great leadership, but I look back and I was like, fuck, I just wish at one point somebody would have like so, held me accountable for being late one day or something. You know what I mean? You know, and the thing was, you know, I had leadership that tried to hold me accountable and I bullshitted them. Yeah. You know, I can look back now and see where certain leadership were trying to like, without saying, hey bro, if there's a problem, let us know, we can get this taken care of. Yep. And I would come up with a bullshit story, you know, whatever, to Heisman that shit away, Mm -hmm. you know, and looking back, I missed out on opportunity. Yeah. But I also looking at it as I wasn't ready yet. And and that's, that's really the key to this whole thing is if somebody is not ready, it don't matter. I'm so glad you said that, Chris. A lot of people don't understand that. Like, I can't help you. Yeah. If you don't want to, you you, you have you to keep to. doing what you're doing until yeah. you hit you have, your rock bottom. You have to hit your personal rock yeah. bottom. You know, and the other part of it on the flip side is they don't get it. Exactly. Why don't you just stop? Right. What are you doing? I'm like, right. do you realize that these chemicals literally rewire your brain so that my common sense and your common sense are Two different two things. Two different things, yeah. You know, so, yeah, man. You know, I was a full-blown junkie. Right, right. And I had to accept that fact. And I literally came to rehab on my hands and knees begging for help. Was anybody in your family, um, you know, wife, but like, let's say brother, sisters, mom, was somebody, was somebody like, hey, man, like. Nope. I had hit it that well from them. Really? I think my mom had an idea something was going on. But because I didn't see my mom on a regular basis what? and I can push visits off and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, like I said, my mom's empathic, so she knew something was going on but couldn't put her finger on what. Um, but Were you social? Did you start isolating? Yes. Yeah. And that was the other thing is, um, you know, I was in a motorcycle club. Right. I was the president of a motorcycle club. Right. I left the club. That's wild, you know, man. So, you know, that isolation, it was just all about the drugs. When you got a substance abuse problem, 
um, people don't understand, like, like I tell people all the time, like, I'm an extrovert, or I, or I used to be. Like, I used to be a fucking extrovert, man. And, like, when my drinking started getting bad, like, I was like, even drinking, you know, I was like, I just want to stay home and drink. Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to go out. I don't yeah, want to do nothing. I just want to drink. Everybody's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not, I'm not going to have people looking at me yeah. saying, why am I drinking so much or why am I using so much of this? Yes. Or I can sit home. Drink as much and, as I and want. do whatever the hell I want to do and nobody's going to say shit to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's... I didn't think of that, Chris. That's that was why, really, yeah. is it because I wanted to drink as much as I wanted to drink. I didn't want nobody to judge me for how much I was drinking. Exactly, you know, and that's why the isolation begins. <laughs> and in my case, I just had a break uh, breakthrough. <laughs> <laughs> and in my case, you know, it took so many hours out of the day yeah. for me to co constantly procure my drug of choice uh. that I didn't have time for socializing. Right. You know, I had to be at a certain place at a certain time to go get it. Probably deal I, with shady people and too. And Jay was dealing with some shady motherfuckers. Yeah. That I think one of my, one of the saving graces I had was that I never considered them friends. They were a completely, a completely secret part of my life. Yeah. Whereas if I would have brought them in as friends and spent long hours with them, I'd have been dead a lot sooner. Of course. But I think, you know, and that's what helped me with my um, getting clean was because I always kept them separate. Right. They weren't part of my day-to-day -day life except for obtaining the substance. When it was time to quit and get clean, it wasn't like I had to give up close friends. Right. These people, <clears throat> weren't part of my life. Right. Yeah, they just wanted your money. They just wanted my money. Yeah. Like they could care less. They, like, you know, at the end of the day, they just wanted my money. And when I disappeared, the only thing they said was, mm, somebody else is going to have to pay my light bill. Yeah. That's yeah, true. <laughs> no, nah, I, mean, I mean, yeah. That's what, Um. so dealing with like, so, okay. So you get arrested, said C, um, you had that, 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 you know, aha moment, you're uh, rock bottom. What was treatment like? Treatment was liberating and hell. Painful, I bet. And painful, um, spread into this big shit sandwich. Yeah. Um, detox was hellacious. Right. Um, but once I made it through that, that was life changing in itself. Right. Um, because now I'm at a point where there is not a substance that controls every waking move in my life. Right. Because for eight years, my life revolved around obtaining opiates. <laughs> for my day-to-day -day life. And it got to the point where I couldn't travel because I needed to make sure I had enough drugs on board each day or I was gonna be violently ill. How often, like, how frequently were you, um, to, you know? Using? Yeah. Probably every two hours. 
or else or else that 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 sick feeling would, well, that would sick feeling would come back would would start kicking yeah. in. After two hours, I'd start body start heating up, start getting the sweats, anxiety would kick in, right. and just get go downhill from there. Wow, man! So I mean, my life was you know completely handcuffed, right. so to speak, by this drug. Right. You know, I couldn't travel. I mean, I, if I if even if I was going to go out of town for the day, I'd have to double up on what I bought. And then make sure that on the way back, I can, you know, drop by my boy's house to make pick sure, you know, up. pick some more up for the night. I mean, we're talking about if I missed him in the morning, I was going to be catastrophically ill by noon. How much do you think you were spending a day? Like just average? Average, probably about 150 bucks a day. Damn, bro. Yeah. So I totaled mine up. It was three hundred. Like it was ridiculous. Three hundred eighty dollars just on alcohol. Yeah, a week, which yeah. is just stupid. Yeah, I was spending that every two days. Because what do I have to? And yeah. but what do we have to show for any yeah. fucking yeah. money and, today? And, and the sad part is, you know, I sold my guns. Yeah, you know, I sold stuff I had that was worth way more than what I sold it for. Right. You know, and I've done some shady shit to you know to obtain cash. Um. At what point? At treatment, were you like, oh, where that weight, you know, that relief? Um, honestly, it was, for me, it was quick. Yeah. It was as soon as I detoxed and was over that hump. Yeah. And was in my first or second day of inpatient. Yep. I was already. Feeling good. Feeling good about where things were going. Yeah. Um, and then by the first month, you know, I was already at a point of, I will never go down this road again. Yeah. You know, and I had a lot of people tell me that, you know, don't say that too soon. Don't be overconfident, this, that, the other thing. I'm like, I don't think you understand yeah. how far down I was. So when I say that, I will never go down this road again. Like I instantly was at the point where you could have put it right in front of me and I wouldn't want no part of it. Right. And it was just because I saw what it did to me. Yeah. And I instantly recognized the hell I put myself and everybody else that I was associated with through yeah. and what it took for me to get over it. I'm not going through that again. Yeah. So for me, it was like instant. Um, people were saying the same thing to me. Um, like when I came back, they were like, oh, I don't say that too early. I'm like, bro, like, I don't think you understand, man. Yeah. Like I was bad. Yeah. And I think a lot of it comes down to the way our, our mentalities are. Yeah. You know, when we say we're done, we're done. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it may take a lot for us to, to stop. Yeah. But once we say we're done, we're done. And- I was done. Yeah. And I'm still done. Right. Like. Well, because, you know, if you go back to that now, like for me, I know that if I go back to that, to the fucking drinking the way it, now with nothing to hold me accountable as far as like the my job yes. and shit, yes. man, I'm going to be. Yes. I and, mean. And that's why it was so important for me to take care of this before I retired. Exactly. Because I knew if at least as little of a bubble and safety net that the army was giving me, 
there was still a level of accountability that I had to maintain. Yep. If I got out and I didn't have to get dressed each morning or at least make a phone call to somebody or stop in, if I didn't have to do that stuff, I'd have been dead. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I knew that that rock bottom couldn't have happened at a better time. Right. Because right. like I said, if that rock bottom, there wouldn't have been a rock bottom for me to be alive for yeah. if I would have kept going and now I'm on terminal leave. Um, What all was going through your mind at the time? Like what, you know, besides I'm getting ready to retire and I got to fix this. Like what else? I mean, obviously your kids, but what else was, was circling around up there for you to say never again? Um, is this the legacy I'm going to leave? Yeah, buddy. You know, yeah. that's the answer. I was looking for. Yeah. Is this the legacy I'm going to leave? And yeah. also, you know, I've made it to a place in my career that very few right. could make it to. Right. And this is all I got to show for it. Yeah. You know, so those two things were like sitting in my head that I'm like, no, yeah, no, yeah, I'm not going out this way, you know, and we got to fix this and never again, you know, and then it's funny for me, alcohol was never my thing. Yeah. You know, I drank, don't get right, me wrong, right, right. but it was never my thing. I could take it or leave it. Right. You know, we talked about it before, you know, in the program to tell you, you can't drink yep. here. And I remember, you know, when they told me that, me going to the doctor, I'm like, I don't have a drinking problem. Why, can, why can't I have a drink? She's like, well, it's just part of the thing and you, you'll figure it out. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, I won't drink then. Yeah. Because again, I was, I'm in the, tell me what to do and I'm going to do it because none of my ideas are working. Yeah. I'm 100% on board with you telling me. Whatever exactly, you tell me whatever to Whatever you tell do. me to do, I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until about month three or four that why I shouldn't drink really popped into, you know, came to fruition. I was like, right on. Right. And really what it came down to was, you know, nobody makes their best decisions while they're drinking. No. <laughs> of, course, of course not. We they, think we do. They brief well. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they do. Till you wake up the next morning. Exactly. Um, and... Ultimately, we use to hide from our problems. Yeah. Amongst other things, not deal with stuff, don't want to cope with stuff. So, and part of that, pro, you know, the, part of the treatment and going into like what I like to call emptying that glass, you know, and yep. solving your problems versus hiding from them. Yep. Um, if I'm going to have a bad day and decide to have a drink, first of all, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm masking my problems with alcohol versus diving into the root of the problem right. and, you know, and figuring it out. And what could potentially happen is because the alcohol isn't scratching that itch. And like I said, bad decisions are often made while drinking. Yeah. That can point me back in the direction of, well, I just get a couple of pills, it'll be okay. Right. So just that, one time, just one time, you know, so that right there, I was like, 
boom, aha. Yeah. This is why I don't need to drink. Yeah. Because right now I'm in the phase where I don't need to hide from any of my problems. Right. I need to list them out. Right. Get to the root of the problem and then solve it from there. Right. And now it's been three plus years that I've been clean and sober. Right. And really don't have any desire to drink at all. And I haven't. It takes it takes a lot out of you, man. Yeah. Like out of your like and I'm just talking about like out of my day, like how you feel, like foggy, the grogginess, the tiredness, the uh just it just takes so much yeah. out of you. It just man. You, you don't realize how much it takes out of you. But for me, it's not even that. It's because I've often, you know, would it be nice to have a beer with a steak? Yeah. You know, something like that, or a glass of wine, because I do like wine. Right. I'm kind of a wine snob, or I used to be anyway. Right. But ultimately, the first thing I ask is, okay, so in the three plus years of being clean and sober, have you missed out on anything because you couldn't drink? Right. And the answer is no. And so why should I add that back in? Right. Well, and all the progress you've made. Yeah, and, cause, and I also, you know, at what cost? Right. You know, at what cost is this really gonna be worth it? Right. Because are you really only gonna have one beer? Right. Or one glass of wine? Right. No, you know, and I just don't want to even entertain you well, know, you, that idea. You said it perfectly a couple of weeks ago um, when we were talking, where you said, um, you know, how you were saying, you know, hey, I've got this this personality where if, if I do something, I got to do it, you know, like yep. all out. And, and that's just the type of people we are yes. or else we would not be exactly where we're at today. You know what I'm saying? As far as like our careers and stuff, we are these type of people where if I'm going to do something, hey man, I'm going all the way all I'm out. Going, yeah, I'm going all out. And the thing <laughs> is, is, you know, I, I, I don't do anything half-assed. Right. And I could see potentially, you know, alcohol becoming the new crutch. Yeah. Yep. And- I don't want that for myself nor anybody around me. Right. Um, so I just. Well, it's like when we were talking and I was telling you about the marinol and you were like, man, like that's not a right, you know what yep. I mean? You, you're, and, and I was thinking, this, so like before you were like, oh, you know, alcohol is not my problem. So I, until when you said that, not that I didn't know that, but when you said that, it, I was like, oh shit, he's right. Like if I was addicted to alcohol, and like alcohol was like my problem. What's gonna say that I can't be addicted to anything else that exactly. easily? Because now I'm, you know, essentially what I'm doing is is, is trying to find something to substitute for yeah, what- Yeah, you're replacing one for the other. Right. And just because the, the new replacement briefs well, right. doesn't mean that it's okay. Right. You know, I, me, I'm addicted to guns. Right. I'm addicted to shooting. Right. And I could easily be on the range every freaking day yeah. shooting. Right. You know, we all have addictive personalities. Of course. You know, some addictions are better than others, if you want to call them. Right. Um, but with any addiction, they, they do have their pitfalls. Of course. You know, even people that are addicted to working. Yeah, man. Let's talk about their family life. Yeah. Non-existent problem. Exactly. So on the outside, it briefs well, but right. quality of life, not so much. Um, so what, so shoot, so you just mentioned shooting, um, which I'm going to assume that's like, 
we always shoot at work, but how, when did that become an outside thing for you? So, you know, we shot at work and I've always loved shooting. Yeah. Um, but I found that for me, shooting is kind of has, it's kind of cathartic to me. Yeah. Um, it allows you to perform a action at a high level right. that you can measure your success by a time on a timer yep. and what your target says. Two yep. things that don't lie. Yep. Timer and a target. Yep. So hmm. um, a buddy of mine introduced me to three gun. Yep. And I was like, all right, let's go check out a match. And I saw it and I was like, oh, I got to try that. Which and, I want to come to one with you yeah. uh, sometime soon. I've got one this next weekend coming up. Look, can I come with? Absolutely. All right, done deal. Um, and I shot my first match and I was hooked. Right. I mean, it's just, you know, one of the things that we look for is that adrenaline rush. Yep. That's that's exactly. It. I'm trying to get back in the skydiving because I yep. need something. We need something that is dangerous but acceptable. Yeah. Um, and three gun gives that to me because that timer goes off and you have a course of fire that you have to memorize and shoot. You got three guns and a timer yeah. and it's time to get after it. Right. And just like any sport, as you dive into it, you figure out ways of movement patterns and stuff like that to become quicker and more and more efficient. Yep. And it's just addicting. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's something healthy that I can do that gives me that adrenaline rush yeah. that I can include my family into. Right, right, yeah, yeah. You know, my wife goes to matches with me, you know, and it's what I like to do. You know, and same thing with the USPSA pistol, same thing It's just with a pistol. Right. You know, and then teaching, you know. Yep. You know, teaching people the fundamentals of marksmanship, um, home defense, stuff like that. I yeah. like teaching. Yeah. You know, I like the seeing the little light bulbs. Come yeah, on. man. You know, it, it's just, it's fun for me. So that's, it is, man. It's, it's, kinda, it's rewarding. It's rewarding. It is. You know, and it's my way to give back. Yep. And do it in a way that I'm having fun and it matches my goals of retirement life. Yeah. Enjoy what I'm doing, work hard, but not miserable. Exactly, man. I, I hear that from a lot of, uh, 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 soft guys especially where mm -hmm. like we just want to have a peaceful life after getting out like yeah. you know we just want to chill we just want to like you know take it easy man and, yeah, and, and and that's how everybody should be but i hear that more from soft guys where they're like man like i just wanted to just take it easy well think about it we we, we live a career where we have that gas pedal pushed to the floor yeah man for years yeah I mean, there's no break. Yeah. You can't even get out of shape. Well, look at the direction it took us because we were such a high yeah, tempo. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, when you retire, you want the opposite. Yeah. You know, you, you, you still like the discipline of certain things. Yep. But you just want that op tempo to be at your own pace. Right. Now, You've seen some guys that we see, you know, our career field that they need that 100 miles per hour op tempo. Not this guy. And <laughs> they thrive on that. Right. Not me. I'm built for comfort. Yeah. You know, I'm, you know, I'm just like, nope. Yeah. Not playing that silly game. What, um, 
so like what other, you know, for me, going to, going to treatment, coming back, um, forced me to force me to learn new coping, like new, new, new coping skills and, yeah. um, and deal with things completely differently. Now for me, I try to do everything possible to stay as busy as I can. Yes. Uh, for us, it's all about a schedule. Yeah. Like yeah. I try to get out of the house. Like before, you know, like I was yeah. telling you, like I was always isolated, man. Like the lights, you know, it was always dark in here, man. Um, and, and I would always stay in here. So now um, I do everything possible to get out. Like yeah. I have to get out of the car. I have to get in the car. I have to go somewhere. If, yeah. if even just for a drive, I just yeah. gotta get the fuck out of here. For, for me, it's all about a schedule. Yeah. Um, and sticking to that schedule. Um, but honestly, I think one of the most important things is that 10 to 15 minutes of just straight you time. Yeah. Um, I use the gym for that. Right. You know, where you, you need to do something that is 100% for you. Yeah and nobody else that recharges your batteries. You know, and that could be the gym, mm -hmm. it can be yoga, it can be anything. It can be reading a book, right. it can be meditation, whatever. Right. But it's just taking that 15 or 20 minutes and directing all those energies into you. Right. Because if you think about it, you go throughout your day, 99% of the stuff that you do is for somebody else. Exactly. Now I'm not saying that what you know you're doing this for your wife is a bad thing, or you're doing this for your kids is a bad thing. I'm right, not right. saying that at all. No, I, yeah, I got you. But if you look at most people's day to day grind, there is nothing in there purely for them to recharge and then get back into what they need to do. Yeah. You know, so I always, you know, for me, I wake up. You know, I try to take that first 10, 15 minutes that I'm awake just to meditate, mm -hmm. be thankful about something, and then go about my day. You know, some people, I know a lot of guys, and I do it too, you know, they're very busy, you know, have a very busy schedule, so they plan to get to work 20 minutes early. Right. So they sit in the parking lot, and that's when they do their spiritual time. Yep. You know, and it's, it's finding little things like that that is a huge piece of the puzzle. It is, man. And, and I look back and I'm like, why didn't I not learn all these or know what, you know, why didn't I know all this shit before? Like it, when I was, yeah, before it got hard and bad. Because like, the, our, our, our career field does not even condone it. Yeah. That's not even briefed. Right. You know, that's not even a thing. Right. Um, if you look at the way the military does everything, it is step A to step B done. Yeah. Even the way we do, the military does funerals. You grieve within the 30 minute ceremony and then it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Now that is done for a reason and for the military for the right reasons because it needs to be that way. Yeah. But in life, that is horrible because we take that type of mentality and we try to bring it into our day-to-day -day life and it just right. destroys us. Man, um, yeah, just, just, just fucking looking back, man. And this is why like, you know, doing this, um, it's huge for me, you know what I mean? And yeah. having and having, you know, people like you on here and telling their stories. Cause like, you know, like you said earlier, if, if we can have just one person just hear this and be like, oh shit, 
you know, like maybe yeah. I need to change something. Maybe exactly. I need to, you know, uh, maybe I need some me time to like reflect on everything. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and this is the type of stuff that to me, it's important that the new generation yeah. of guys that are just getting into the business, you know, just getting into their yeah. soft units or even the regular military life, right? learn and understand this because if they have these tools now, when things get hard, they have them and they can have a good outcome towards right. the end. Right. We did it. We did it ass backwards. <laughs> Big time. We became train wrecks. Yeah. And had to literally just give up on everything we thought and knew yep. and just succumb to, I'll do whatever you tell me to say because yeah. this is not working for me. And then when you realize they had the right answer, you're like, why did I know this before? Yeah. I, um, you know, and, 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 and having a support system and, you know, like one thing too, like I wish I have great, awesome fucking friends and brothers, man, mm -hmm. but I wish they would have been like, hey, motherfucker. Yeah, but the thing is- Like, is, chill yeah, the fuck out. Exactly. Like, you're drinking way, way too, too much, much or you're you're acting out. Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, but the you're thing acting is, crazy, man. But see, the thing is, we don't do that because what we look at is job performance. Exactly. At the end of the day, we look at guys and we'll be like, can he do his job? Yes. Does he excel at his job? Yes. End of story. And yeah. there's so many janky behaviors throughout the community that that's not one that is accessible. Yeah. Job performance is. Yeah. Damn, man. Yeah. It's, it's. And there's always the one guy that does it is worse than you are. So they'll be like, well, he's not bad as Johnny. So. He's good. Don't worry about it. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's a hundred percent right, man. Um, yeah. Like, like looking, like looking back, like me coming late, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. It's not that big a deal. As long as I was still, you know, doing what I got to do. Yep. Like, okay. Like he really didn't miss nothing. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Exactly. So who really cares? Or, well, he used to be here half hour early all the time yeah. and oh, he's getting out anyway. So. Yeah. Leave him alone. Let him come in 10, 15 minutes. Early. You know, it just, they will, nobody wants to take it on. Yeah. Who, who holds you accountable today? My wife. And me. I see that. Yeah. My wife definitely holds me accountable. Um, very much so, but in a positive way. Right. You know, she reminds me of, of hey, course. you know, hey dipshit, you know, you're doing this, 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 and this. Yeah. What about this? Okay, baby, you got me. Yep. You know, um, but I'm pretty good at holding myself accountable as, as well. Yeah. Um, sometimes not as good as, you know, others, but the core things are always there. Yeah. Um, I don't let things fester. Yeah. Um, I try to deal with emotional issues as soon as they come yeah, and figure out, okay, what's driving this. Right. Right. Um, and I don't get wrapped up in hate, anger. It's the biggest thing. Um, and things of that nature, because that shit takes energy, man. That can be used 
constructively in so many different places. Right. You know, when you, when you say, uh, oh man, I hate that guy. Okay, first off, so you're allowing another man to take up residence in your own head. Right. Okay. Right. Um, the second part is, in order for me to hate him, I have to keep him in my mind, find another story or reason to hate him, and continue, continue to do this over and over and over again anytime his name is brought up or I see him. Exactly. And then you have to ask yourself, does that person even, are they doing that to you? Yeah. You know, so I, I kind of look at those things and I go, you know, I forgive them. They've done me dirty, I forgive them. Yeah. And that forgiving isn't meaning I'm making it okay for them to do it. Right. What I'm saying is you did what you did and I'm not gonna let your actions affect me anymore. Exactly. So therefore I forgive you. Exactly. That's the biggest thing for me that's changed was, uh, you know, how for me it was my ex-wife, like the way I dealt with her, because I was always snapping, I was always angry, I was always this, I was always yelling or I was, you know, and then when I got sober, I was like, this is stupid. Yes, it, there's, like, there's, no so stupid. there's no productivity to any of it. None at all. Um, and today, like, my family says it to me all the time. They're like, man, you have changed. Yeah. And Cause I'm like, I don't let shit bother me anymore. Like where now you could be like, this and this is going on or this is just happening. And this is about to happen. And I'd be like, okay. Yeah. Like, and, right. and a lot of times people take that for you not caring. No, I just don't let but it. It's, but it's like, no, I care about it. Right. Or I'm concerned about it, but I'm not going to put Damn all it. the added stressors or energy into it. And doesn't it fucking feel good to be happy and yeah, be man, positive? Yeah, it does. I mean, it's at, at the end of the day, it's like, okay, yeah, right on. You know, and that's you know that's one of the things I try to explain or show people. Yeah, is that there's one person in control of your emotions, and it's you. Yes, man. That person can't piss you off. Right. You allow that person to piss you, you off. Allow them to. That's the key. So. What you gonna do, PL? Yeah, yeah. You know, so, and think about, if you wanna say I'm getting back at somebody, you really wanna get back at somebody? Don't give them what they want. Yeah. Somebody wants to start an argument like, I'm sorry you feel that way, and say nothing. It'll drive them out of their freaking mind. Bro, it's been driving my ex insane. So, you know, in a weird <laughs> way, being positive is the ultimate, <laughs> you know, yeah. way to win anything. Yeah. But it truly is. It, you know, um, just hearing your story, man, and like, and like seeing you now, I can't imagine. Like, yeah. Like I couldn't picture it. Oh dude, it was disgusting. Like, like I look back. Yeah. Of who I was as a person And it's just like, I'm like, oh my, right. what a train wreck. Yeah. But to everybody else, I was a great SF guy. Right. Love to get my kill on. Right. You know, big and muscular, in shape, you know, 100% angry all the time. Yeah. You know, because that's the standard, isn't it? That's the standard. Yeah. And I look back and I'm like, well, no one, well, no one, why I was so tired all the time. That takes a lot of freaking energy. Yeah. It really does, man. 
and it, God, it's just, bro, just thinking about it, like, yeah. I'm just like, how did I, how did I stay like that for so fucking long? And like now, I'm, I wake up happy. I wake yeah. up early. I'm, I'm, you know, busy. I'm, I'm constantly, my mind's moving now. And like, I would not want to go back no, I, to that ever again. And, see, and, and that's the whole thing with sobriety for me. It's not just not drinking or not taking the drug. Sobriety for me is not wanting to go back to that life of doom and gloom. Yeah. You know, there's so much more than just I'm sober. Right. Or I'm clean. Right. Right. You know, it's just the whole life lifestyle it and is a thought lifestyle. pattern that comes along with sobriety that makes you want to never go back to that. And what a lot of people don't understand too, man, um, I, I just thought of this, I probably should have, we probably should have talked about this a little more before, but I just thought of this is, is a, a lot of people don't understand you got to change your environment too. Yes. Like you got to, like you got to change your fucking environment. So like when, you know, you hear like, okay, so there's some things you need to change when you get sober. What's that? Everything. Yeah. I told my friends before I came home, I, I, I literally said to them, I was like, hey man, I need like two months where I cannot see you. I cannot hang out with you until yeah. I'm comfortable. And you know, I, obviously I've got great, great, great fucking best friends where they're like, hey man, like cool, we understand. And we never drink around, and they would never drink around me. But you had to be normal. I exactly. yourself about it. So I don't make them feel uncomfortable. Like, exactly, because it's, drink, it's, man, it's, if you wanna drink. It's a two part thing. Right. You know, it's okay. I don't want my friends to be uncomfortable around me. Yeah. And I don't need to feel uncomfortable because it, all it is is gonna create this big Weird. disaster yeah. of weirdness. Right. You know, but yeah, you, you have to change everything. And you know, like I said earlier, for me, you know, when it came from separating from the people I was getting drugs from, yeah. thank God I didn't make them friends yeah. that I hung with every day right. because now all of a sudden I'm gonna have to just, you know, detach myself from friends. Right. For me, it was just, I don't shop at that store anymore. Yep. Yeah, I like the way you put that. So there was no, no personal connection to yeah. it. Um, so, and in a lot of ways, I think that it was easier for me than people dealing with alcoholism because alcohol is sold in like 90% of the stores you go to. Yeah, man. You know, whereas with my drug of choice, it's not like you go to fucking, oh, where's the, where's the heroin at? Oh, it's in uh, aisle seven alpha under the Cheerios. Right. You know, so as long as you're not in that environment, it's not a day that they thought. Like with alcohol, hell, you drive by, there's a beverage barn, you know, you see the 7-Eleven over there that's got alcohol there. So in ways, I definitely think I had it easier. Right. No, um, yeah, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying, man. And you know, like the thing is for me, like when I told people, hey, like my friends, I was like, hey man, I just need like two, two months just to like, you know what I'm saying, just to get my shit together. Um, it was because of that, because, you know, even if, if I said, hey man, let's go out for lunch or let's go out for dinner or let's meet up to get something to eat, you know, I mean, alcohol is always gonna be around. So it's like, hey, I need to limit myself um, around from those environments until I'm totally comfortable with uh, being out and about, being around the alcohol, being around bars and, and, and being in the restaurants. And so I'm comfortable with that. Like, I just gotta stay away from that shit so that I don't, fall back into that so easily. And it wasn't because of my, 
I didn't want to hang out with my friends is because I don't want to be like, hey man, nah, let's go to a restaurant with no fucking alcohol. No, you know what yeah, I mean? It's yeah, like, like yeah. I didn't want to put anybody in that situation. And like you said, it's, it's everywhere. Exactly, and now it's funny because one of the things I deal with is people, most people know that, you know, that I was an opiate addict. Yeah. You know, but they know I don't drink. Right. So then like, well, you know, do you mind if I have a drink? You know, I'm like, dude, I don't care if you drink. It it bothers me more. It bothers me more <laughs> if somebody doesn't drink when they want one. Exactly. Because I'm like, dude, don't stop doing you because I'm here. Right. It's okay. I had a problem. Like yeah. what, whether you do or you don't, that's you. Yeah. It's just, I had a problem. Yeah, because at the end of the day, if you having a drink in front of me is going to create some sort of issue for me, I got shit to work on. Right. Or I just don't want to need to be around you. And or I, just, I just don't need to be around you. Right. That's simple. It's as simple as that. I don't need you changing your behavior. Right. Because it's, it's, a, it's an unfair right. exchange. Right. You know, but I still deal with that guy's like, you know, do you, you mind if I order a drink while we're at dinner? I'm like, Dude, if you want to do six tequila shots yep. and do backflips off the bar, I don't care. Hey man, yeah. Do you like, do like you? I tell I tell family and friends that all the time. I'm like, hey man, just because I don't drink, and so me and my girl both don't drink. Yep. And and uh, my wife, uh, we both don't drink. So like when you know, same people invite us places, they're you know they you know it's just weird. And I'm like, dude, it's we don't really give a fuck. Yeah. Like we just don't drink. We don't care. Yeah. And like, it's like it's funny though because even my you know my wife now. She never really was a big drinker to begin with. Yeah. But she'd have like an apple martini on her birthday or something like that. Of course. You know, so she had a birthday and I'm like, you get, she's like, oh, I don't want to drink. I'm like, babe. So go ahead. Okay. She's like, well, oh, I feel bad. I'm like, don't feel bad. Right. Because it's okay. At the end of the day, if the shoe was on the other foot, I'd be having that martini. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking facts, man. Um, so how are you feeling today, man? I mean, I know you kind of hit on it a little bit, but like, how are you feeling all in all today? Good. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, still, you know, I'm on a non-opiate based yeah. um, pain management protocol. Protocol. Yep. Um, you know, you still have your daily aches and pains and stuff like that, but um, I think the number one thing that still gives me the same high as day one of sobriety yeah. is that there is not a substance in this world that controls my day-to-day actions. Yeah. And because, that's true, man. And it's because there was, Yeah, you know, this substance literally controlled everything I did from the time I woke up yeah. to the time I went to sleep. And I don't have that anymore. It's freeing, liberating. It's, it's very liberating. Yeah. Um, and with that being said, it just allows you to put energies where they need to be. Yeah. And then, you know, going through the rehab program and things like that, it's not just a rehab from substance abuse. It's just how to live life in a more positive manner, right. you know, and using the things I've learned, you know, it just makes day-to-day life a lot easier. Right especially understanding where to put your energy and where not to. Right. You know, it's some things you just kiss up to God and call it, it is what it is. That, <laughs> I was actually gonna do a reel about it is what it is. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is next for you, man? For me next, um, thinking about expanding a couple of business ventures okay. um, with my wife. 
Um, Which we're going to have on the show just to let y'all know. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, I just said that so I can hold you and her. Oh, yeah. She's ready. Uh, all right. She's ready. <laughs> um, let's see. Just, you know, living life. Yeah. Finding the next thing to enjoy. Right. And just taking it day by day. You exactly. know, there's certain things I like to plan ahead, you know, like you should. And there's certain things that I just, we'll see what happens. Right. You know, because like I said, I'm at the part of my life now where, you know, I'd, you know, served in the military. I retired. This is the second part of my life. Yeah. And they don't need to be identical. Yep. Yeah. You know, I don't want them to be identical. Yeah. Because you've already lived that life. I've already lived that, that version of life. Yeah. Let's try to live that, you know, a, a different version of that. Yeah. Which is a little more peaceful. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah. That's, you know, that's and less the goal. painful. Yeah. And just take it from there. Um, so I always like to ask people at the end, like one question and, okay. and, and uh, what, so, you know, we, we both know that there's other people in our community going through things. Yep. If you knew somebody that was going through a similar situation like yours and you had a one-on-one with them, what advice would you give them? Besides just going to treat, yep. you know what I'm saying? Besides the obvious, amen. Go I ahead. think the first question I'd ask them, are you done? Right. Because if they're not done, there's no use of having any more conversation. Right. Um, but if they're in that place where they're sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know, I would just say, hey brother, I know a path. Yep. It's worth for a lot of freaking people. Yeah, man. Um, amen. And at the end of the day, have you been successful in any of the things that you tried? Yeah. And if the answer is no, it's like, okay, let's try this. Right. And I got your back, bro. Right. That's awesome, man. Hey, y'all, y'all heard it. Chris. It's a pleasure, brother. Fucking awesome, man. Um, I can't wait to have you back here again with your wife. Oh, yeah. My wife will be here. Um, we'll go from A to Z on topics because there's a few things we can. Uh, I know. Um We'll talk a little bit here off subject, but you know, cause I don't want to give too much away now, yeah. but, um, yeah, man. So thank you for coming on, man. Um, I don't know. Um, I usually give everybody the option if you, you know what I'm saying, if you guys, if, if you want to leave any, uh, for social media, you know, yeah. for people um, to find you, if they got questions personally for you. Uh, absolutely. Um, I'm on Instagram, um, at three and a thumb three gun. Right. Um, you can also hit me up on Gmail at the same three and a thumb three gun at gmail okay um and if you want to text me 910-309-7378 it has to do with addiction you're having a problem anything text me all right i will definitely get back to you y'all heard it man hey thank you guys for tuning in thank you guys for listening uh and if you guys got any questions, like he just said, man, even if you uh, just want to send them my way and I'll send them his way, whatever you guys want to do, but you have all his uh, uh, social media contacts, uh, Chris, man, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing. For sh thank you for sharing your story, man. Absolutely, um, man. We all know it's not ever easy to just, you know what I'm saying? To be vulnerable like that and, and, and tell your whole Honestly, uh, life story. At this point for me, it's easier to be vulnerable than it was going like to be like back then. 
go through the stuff I went through back then. I agree with you 100%, man. And this is this is why I love doing this, man. Yep. That's why I enjoy doing this. And, and you know, I, I got big things for this. But thank you, Chris. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Chris, we will be doing this again. Uh, thank you. Hello. <laughs>